Today on episode number 740, we're talking with Charlie, who hired a team and was spending thousands of dollars to promote his podcast, yet it just wasn't working. He shares what mistakes he made, how he changed his podcast, and the amazing results he's now seeing for his business at Valor Media. We also have some tips on how to handle an interview that just blows up in the middle. Hit it, ladies! The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, I hope you launch your podcast, but also grow your influence. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. If you go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start, use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up to save 20% on either a monthly or yearly subscription. Today, we have a really great interview with Charlie Valor from Valor Media. He does the Business of Podcasting show. I've been interviewed on that show, and the more I talk to this guy, the more I like him. And one of the things I've said that is something that can attract people that can build your influence is when you're vulnerable. And today, Charlie is going to tell us on how when he first got into podcasting, he made some serious mistakes, spent a serious amount of money, and it didn't work. And then what did he do to where it really is working for him now? So here is my conversation with Charlie Valor from Valor Media. And I found a show called The Business of Podcasting, and I started listening, and I was like, wow, this is really well organized. This guy's interviewing a bunch of people I've never heard of. He's approaching podcasting in a slightly different, more marketing kind of way. And uh, I then did what I always tell people that you do. When you find a show you like, I went to Overcast, my favorite button in Overcast, the all button. And I was like, yep, download them all. And I've literally been listening to your show for about the last two and a half weeks, almost nonstop. It is the one, the only, don't be by, fooled by uh, cheap imitations Charlie Valor, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It's an absolute honor. And um, I would be kidding myself if I didn't consider you one of the influences of me getting into this space. Going way back, I was uh, listening to Roundtable and, of course, School of Podcasting as well. So I'm thrilled to be here. Well, you're from Valor Media. Let's get uh, let's get the plug out of the way. Uh, what the heck are you doing over there at Valor Media? This is a business that started out of, I suppose we'll call it need and passion. So I'd always wanted to have a successful podcast of my own, failed miserably at it multiple times, and then finally kind of cracked a winning model for myself. And then on the back of that, people started saying, can you do that for me? And before you knew it, we had five clients and I was like, right, this should probably be a business. So the transformation or becoming of Vela Media was that we are, I like to think of us like a podcast agency. People who want to have a successful podcast, they're the people that want to be behind the microphone and making the content. We tend to be the behind the scenes. So we're the producers, we are the editors, and then we do a lot of these days the marketing and promotion of the show to really help people in that area because we know so many people struggle with it. Nice. The reason I want to have you on is I've been listening to it and you allude to the the first, I don't know if it's the very first podcast you did or you, you mentioned that there was a podcast and it's always like, well, that's the one where I wasted X amount of time doing this or that. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the lessons that you kind of allude to in your podcast about some of these uh, mistakes that you may have made. 
Oh, let's go there. I, I love this. And I can talk about it in hindsight now and laugh at myself um, because I, I've managed to break through it and like create a really successful show and other successful shows. But if you'd have asked me this at the time of doing it, I think I would have cried. <laughs> um, so it, it's a very personal thing, but you know, hindsight's powerful and there's so many valuable learnings. So podcasting also has this really unique thing where it's perceivably easy, right? It seems easy on the service. Like you just talk into a microphone. It's simple, Dave. You're not aware. You just talk, that's it. upload it. But that's the naivety that comes to it. And I'd, I'd had a couple of podcasts early on that I, I suppose we'll call for fun. Um, but then eventually I came to a point where I said, look, I want to take this podcasting thing seriously. I, I want to create an absolute beast of a show, rise to the top of the charts, take on Rogan, take on them all. <laughs> let, let, let's get after it in this business. John Lee Dumas, look out. Pat Flynn, your days are numbered. You know? <laughs> the ambition was huge and the drive was huge. So I got into it and I did something that I'm sure many, many people have considered where I, I thought to myself, you know, I've had some experience in business. I've got a successful business. If this is going to be successful, I need to resource this appropriately. All right. So to think that you can treat it as a hobby is just, is just not going to happen. So I did uh, something that, as I said, many people will have considered. I hired an editor, a marketer, like I had a team of three just for my podcast. I had allowed for recording time, a full day of myself to record every week. And we absolutely went for it. And not only that is I put about $50,000 of marketing budget uh, wow. behind it. So I knew I was going to be buying ads, sponsoring shows. Like we, we went for it. And I was like, we're, we're going for a home run. Like second place is just for first loser. Um, <laughs> and that's, a, again, I, um, I laugh about these things now. Were you listening to Gary V at the time, buddy? Chance, <laughs> uh, no comment there, Dave. No comment at all on that one. I just took to it that you know, let's let the nail over here. Let's get a sledgehammer. Was how I was thinking about it. Okay. I was really thinking like we're going to overgo it if we're going to have that there. And like I, I'm someone that thought that was the way to go about it. So resourced it appropriately, and then we get a hundred episodes deep. Okay, so we've made a hundred episodes. Full setup, as I said, you no expense spared. And after that hundred episodes, I realized something or came to the conclusion, which was a very sobering day, that the show was not successful. It hadn't actually created any of the benefits I was looking to create, and actually was just a huge waste of time. And a lot of people would just give up in that moment and just go, "Do you know what? Write it off, go into something else." But I couldn't let it go. I just couldn't let it go because I looked at this and like, I'm like, I am doing above what everyone else is doing. Like who's going to this level? Why isn't this working? Like, why is it such a disaster? I couldn't let it go. So I then started hiring experts, talking to other people. And I'd realized that I'd missed some pretty big things within the show. And uh, this is something we really like in our values. And I know something that you understand uh, at a much higher level was we'd miss some massive stuff like some really big things that are important when it comes to having a podcast and trying to just overcome that with sheer force. Like we'll just outmarket it. Like we'll just market it harder. We'll make more content, like more content and more marketing is how we'll solve this. Mm. What and was, um, like that was just such a huge, huge mistake. Yeah. What was your schedule at the time? You said you did a hundred episodes. Was this- it was, So we were doing two episodes a week and we were doing both audio and video. Um, so we're doing some audio stuff as well as video and that. We were cutting some snippets, uploading to YouTube, doing Facebook ads, doing YouTube ads, 
you you name it, we were having a crack. I was sponsoring podcasts, like in the niches we were trying to hit and the markets we were trying to hit. Like we, we, we really went all out on that side. Got it. So you said you had missed some some key ingredients. What were those key ingredients? I now look at this and when someone said it to me, I, I again, had to learn this lesson the hard way. And he said to me, he goes like, you realize niche rhymes with rich for a reason, yeah? <laughs> And I laughed very hard when I heard it and then also realized I'd missed a huge thing. Our show was way too broad. Like we really made this huge mistake in podcasting. And and my belief is, and I think many people learn this the hard way as well, is that when you make a show for everybody, you make a show for nobody. And the reality was that our content wasn't cutting through because it wasn't specific enough to anyone to actually have them go, I need to listen to this. Like we made it for business owners in general, instead of trying to actually capture a segment of the market where we could talk to them. And I think of it like this is like, I want to be able to talk to my market. Like they feel like I've been watching them. It's like, how do you know that? I didn't think anyone had seen that. And we just hadn't done that at all. So it was kind of just getting lost in the void. Did you do any kind of, for lack of a better phrase, a focus group when you first started off? Did you get any feedback from, from people? Yeah. So again, this is where the danger point of what we had done is, is it got a few fans. And when I say a few, like we, we did get the show up with all these things. Like we might've been getting a thousand downloads per month. We did have a few people that did follow the show along and did, you know, perceivably like the content uh, to a degree, but mostly we already knew them to a degree. They already had a touch point with us through business or other things, which probably can eluded that. But this is where my arrogance came into it. And this is another thing where I looked at it is like, I was so certain that the content we were making was great that I perceived that it was what people wanted. And I had missed the mark completely. And like, this was probably one of those other really valuable lessons is like feeding a starving crowd. Like the whole idea is that you want to be creating something that, you know, people want and they want to consume and they're hanging out for. And I kind of think about it like this is, and I always bring up my friend, like one of my friends, like literally canceled dinner with me once. So they wouldn't miss an episode of Game of Thrones. And I was like, wow, that that's power. Like that that's what's up. Like if you're a really good content creator, like you, you might actually be able to get someone to cancel dinner with a friend to watch a show that they can watch later. They could have watched it after dinner, but it's, they couldn't be that person that wasn't there at the moment. And I was like, right, there's clearly something I have missed here if we're not having that effect. So you do your hundred episodes and you're, you're somewhat dejected, but on the other hand, you're like, I think I can fix this. You know, if this was a stew, there's too much salt in the stew. We need more carrots. You know, how did you come up with the new formula? This was one of those things where I, I had to kind of look at my show and go, is this actually fixable? I kind of look at it or think of it in this way is like, you might be trying to renovate a house. If the foundations are that bad, you may never be able to actually put the building you want on it. So the decision I had to make was actually to end it um, because I looked at where we were, what we positioned, the naming, the guests, everything, and realized that the actual available, uh, I suppose, utilization of what we had as assets was zero. Like there was no follow-on benefit that was going to be there. So I decided to wrap the show up and really just go into a point of, I would say learning, like I became the student again, where I wanted to really understand this podcasting stuff deeper. I wanted to pay attention to what successful shows are doing, particularly the ones in business, which is an area I do a lot, which is businesses that use a podcast and their podcast becomes like the own sponsor of their show to sell services and products. 
And I went deep there. I started really, really paying attention to it and actually took me a bit of time to get my confidence back up to start another show or start working with other shows. Because as I said, went for the fence, like we, we played all out and to fail when you play all out really hurts. Like it really hurts. You know, when you're semi trying, it doesn't work out. It's like no biggie. I'll just, you know, wasn't really trying, but this one I was. So uh, my, my uh, pride and ego took a bit of a hit along the way. So you went back to being a student and you, you kind of looked at other shows that were doing well in business. How did you know what was going to stay and what was going to go? Okay. So th- this was probably the second thing I came to really realize within my show. So it wasn't just, we didn't really nail a niche or market or test one well, or even really try. We just went for business owners, um, right? Which was, was naive and I wouldn't recommend it for anyone. The other side of it though, is the next thing I really picked up was that in the shows that I really liked and also ones where I like bought their stuff, like I might've bought their books or I might've bought their programs or might've done stuff. I was like, what happened here? Like, why is it on these specific shows that they've been really influential on me? And then on others, you know, I might listen, but you know, not really do anything else with it. Like what's the thing that's making that happen? And I realized that it's not only niche, but it's also your positioning on your show. So I noticed on the shows where there was things I bought or there's things I, you know, engaged with the further, further point is like the host was actually positioned as the expert, not learning it along the way. For example, is that a mistake I had made in my show was that people would come on my show and I would ask questions, but I would just make them look great. And I'm, I'm sure we probably sold some of their books or did things for them, or it was a great marketing piece for them, but really no one gained any benefit from me being on the show apart from asking questions and go, wow, now this guy, if I ever need someone to learn from, to ask questions, I'm going to come and talk to this guy. <laughs> but I wasn't really demonstrating my value or helping my audience or, or anything like that in a way either. And I really look to change that as well. So in the shows we do now, whether it's my own or the clients we work in, we really help them understand that like, you've got to create a show where the content you do is demonstrating your expertise. It has people realizing, hang on, if I want to be great at this, or I want to improve in this, this is the person I need to be listening to. Like they really know this stuff. And that was, I suppose, the second thing that became really huge for me is understanding that if you are the host, it's not to be there to make others look great. It's to include yourself in the shining. And that's something you do an excellent job of, Dave, on School of Podcasting and Roundtable as well. Like you're, you still ask questions and you're um, curious and explore ideas, but like you hold your own opinion. You're not a, a vegan on one episode and then a carnivore on the next <laughs> or an Apple camp and then Android. Like it's like you, you've got your positioning of what your values are down. So it's like, it's very clear you, you become known and like respectable for what you stand for. It's like, okay, well, if I'm here, this is someone I'm going to want to work with. Did you find yourself being worried about, okay, if I niche down too much, then the people that don't listen to me won't buy my stuff kind of thing. Did you worry about niching down at all or? I did. And then I had a couple of incidents that um, really made me realize like, wow, that there's, you can niche way further down than I thought I did. And how these came to be is I actually found some shows that were incredibly niche and they were crushing it, like crushing it. And I'll, I'll give you one. It was like, there was, and again, I don't take sides on any things. I have no opinions on these niches or who it's for, but there was uh, a couple of young girls that had a podcast for lesbians who want to live in off grid in vans, like this van life movement. And their whole perspective was what it was like to combine those. And I'm like, that is like, two, that is like a double niche. And like, they had this really captive audience. And I was like, 
if you saw how passionate the people were that were into their stuff um, were one and the same, I'm like, I would never have expected it. So I guess this is one of those things is like, maybe I needed to see you to believe but like my whole judgment of like how niche you can go really, really changed. And I think about niche in, in three ways now or different ways. Like you can niche by like demographics. So for men or women, but then you can also niche by like service or offering. So like you might be in a t- typical type of business again. So you might be like, oh, I'm SEO or I'm Facebook ads or what insert uh, whatever it is there. But you can also be like, okay, well, this is for beginners, intermediates or experts. And I kind of look at that and go, if you can do all three of them in a way, so if you can go, right, it's for a certain demographic, it's for a certain type of industry or niche, fishing, cycling or whatever it is, and then going, is it the beginners, the intermediates or the experts? That's the layering I like to use to kind of find a good niche. That's great criteria. On your your old show, did you do any kind of call to action? Definitely. And <laughs> I, la- I laugh as I answer these because I look back and I know better. Right. But this is one of those things where it's like the the call to action was broad. And I'll I'll give you an example is we say, oh, head over our website and you can learn more about what we do. And it was so vague that I'm like, that isn't going to make anyone pull over a car. I know that now. (laughs) But it's like, I I look at the call to actions I make now and I'm like, you don't click on this in 60 seconds. Like your life is in jeopardy. Like, and It's obviously an exaggeration, but it's like, I, I looked at how much more specific we are these days. And I was like, we, again, the, I'm pretty sure ego and arrogance can be relayed to a lot of these mistakes. But I, I made this assumption that if we were making great content, people would just naturally want to know more. Like we would be so persuasive and suave and all these things that I laugh at now. Um, but we really thought that was going to be how it played out, where even if you are those things, and let's pretend you're highly influential, people still love really clear and specific instructions. I think the clearer you can be with your audience on how they can gain benefit and really what's in it for them. Like if you can make something and they clear on, oh, that's how I will be better off and that's why I should pull over the car now, then then you stand to have a far better success with your call to actions in podcasting. Okay, so you've started to take some steps to kind of reshape your show. What was something else that you went, okay, that didn't work in the past. I've got to do this now with the show. Okay. So the next thing I really wanted to understand is like, I'd built this perception up in what I thought worked in podcasting, where I thought the guest was probably the most important thing. So I had thought, well, if we just get big names on our podcast, then the brand perception and everything would carry it as well. And I won't deny that certainly has a weight. Like if you have high quality guests on your show with good credentials and that the audience already respects, it definitely helps. But one of the other things which I realized mattered a lot is the topics you cover. And I think something that is not necessarily done in podcasting as well as it could be for a lot of podcasters is they don't spend enough time thinking about their titles and topics. So they really, really need to tweak up in my opinion. Um, And I'm very, very opinionated about this one is like, make sure you're actually covering things that will help your audience. Like don't just bring Oprah on your show, like make sure you talk to Oprah about something that's really relevant to your audience, like make the line of questioning really, really specific to them. And this has had a huge impact as well, because I always want my audience to feel like I want them to know how they're going to be better off for listening to this podcast. I really, really want them to feel that in the titling. And then I want that to actually happen in the content. And you may have actually had a little few jokes about this, Dave, but um, 
I've been on podcasts and seen this, and even I was doing this to an extent myself, where I think we wasted the first 15 minutes or even 10 minutes of every podcast, like talking about how they are or what the weather is or irrelevant things that, you know, again, we thought we were being relatable and understanding, but in reality is we were just wasting the audience's attention and time. So really focusing, like going, going for the throat out of the gate, like hitting with the hard questions. And uh, I make this joke often where it's like, you know, you bring a guest on this show, like the first question you ask him is like, how much money did you make last year? <laughs> that's a little, uh, yeah, that's going for the throat, I would think. <laughs> Just a little bit. Exaggerated, but I'm sure you get the point. I love the fact that Charlie didn't give up, much like Tyler Perry. We talked about him last week. There's a guy that just kept tweaking his first play until it finally started to get traction. And if you would like to get going in the right direction right out of the gate, simply go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code LISTENER and you'll get access to our step-by-step tutorials, our private Facebook group filled with brilliant podcasting minds and access to me so I can help shape your podcast and make sure you avoid all those common podcasting pitfalls. Again, schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code LISTENER. I'm going to peel back the curtain just a little bit here, and then we'll get back to Charlie because this is a great story. And that is I was testing Riverside.fm. This is a tool that allows you to record remote interviews, both with separate tracks for audio and video. And I'm just going to about 20 minutes in, we developed about a two second delay between myself and Charlie. I was fine when he would talk to me, but if I would stop with a question, I would have to wait about two seconds for him to answer. And so, and then I was breaking up like Bugs Bunny on poison. And uh, we just said, okay, hold it, forget it. We're just going to go over to zoom. And this is where having the roadcaster pro comes in real handy. Or I talked about the zoom pod track P4. This allows you to do remote interviews and have everybody on their own separate track. And so in the end, that's what I ended up using was my track from the Roadcaster Pro, or if you had one, a Zoom PodTrack P4. And there he is. Trusty, trusty Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) So you've, you've done all this learning, you've niched down, you've figured out that it's not always about the guest and things of that nature. Did you have a hard time getting back on the horse? Absolutely. And I, I kind of look at this and like, you know, they say uh, necessity is the mother of creation. Um, and it was definitely true for me here. It wasn't a wanting to get back on the horse. It was a need. And that's what really ins- inspired me to go through. So I'll, I'll express what kind of happened from here is like, I'm asking this question like over again, like, why was this a failure? Why did this go wrong? Why, what could I have done differently? And I'm like r- writing this list. Like it was a huge amount of doubt. It was like, you know, I felt like I was right the first time. Like how, how is this actually like different? What if this is just a repeat and I'm actually like, maybe you're just an a-hole and not someone people like, like, you know, because like, what if that's you? And it's like, well, do you know what? I've gone into the world and I've met those people. Do they know that they're like that? Mm. Or, uh, you know, what? and you, you start having all these like awkward thoughts to the story, like, you know, quite a duration of time had passed before I got back. It was honestly about a year before I really got back into it. Um, and the environment I was in was that, I had uh, started working in another business, like I'm working on a project and this odd crossover of time started to happen online. So for anyone that's in digital, um, there was this big like Cambridge Analytica uh, scandal. 
Google had been changing what they would let come through on emails. And like I had a business that was heavily reliant on like direct response marketing from Facebook ads and Google ads. And like, I think all of them hit the panic buttons on not wanting to be sued or basically turning off all the features that were working for us. And like, it's not like we were stealing creepy data or anything, but like we, we became very, very vulnerable and realized that things were kind of changing. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure Dave, you've been on long, online a long time. I'm sure you've seen the environment change. And I'll, I'll give you one example that really stands out. I used to post things on Facebook and people that liked my page would see those things. <laughs> what, what, what? Like, do you remember that? Like, it I seems like that was an amazing time. And then all of a sudden you post things on Facebook and then no one sees those things. So if your business is reliant on people seeing those things and then all of a sudden these channels are being turned off, is all of a sudden I was in a business where we're staring down the lens of like, we're screwed. Like this is not going to go well if we stay on this path. So out of necessity, I put forward an idea and I'm like, I think podcasting is the thing we need to do here. Like I can't remember the last time I you know clicked on a Facebook ad, jumped on a webinar, bought anything. But if you go to my house right now, you'll pretty much see whatever Rogan's talking about on his podcast, what marketing shows I listen to, whatever books they're reading, I've got them. And I'm like, this is still real. It's time to really like fire this thing back up and go into it. So that was the um, delve back into things. And it was with a, a really good friend and it was the business we were working on was his business. There, and I'm still involved with that to this day. But it was like, that was the, I suppose, the moment that called us back into the, into the race and called me back into the game. And how long did it take for you to kind of go, oh, this actually might be working. Do you remember like the first time when you, I don't know if it was a customer or an email or something? Yeah, absolutely. You never forget this, right? Everyone's got their moment, right? And that's like, so in this business, um, what would happen is people would apply to work with the business. You had to put in an inquiry to see if you would work with them. And I'll never forget this is people started quoting the podcast on the form. So there was a line, I've got the screenshot saved because I was like, holy moly, um, because it literally said in the thing, it feels like this podcast was made for me. And I was like, you are kidding me. And then these people started coming on board as clients for the business. And I was like, they were already sold when they inquired. Like this was like an incredible discernment in like what it had been like to do business in that time is like people were coming and it was like they were ordering a Big Mac. They already knew what they wanted. Where previously it was like we were spending such an effort trying to sell to people and have them understand what we do, where the podcast had started to do all the heavy lifting. So that took about three months before we started to notice that. Pre and only like one episode a week. So we'll call it 12 episodes, 13 episodes before we really noticed an impact. A year later, that's all the business does for marketing. It's the main channel for marketing and sales for that business now. So I mean, the, the story goes really well, but like that was the moment when I was like, hang on, those lessons you learned in the disaster show and like what you kind of look at now of going, that was the gap. That was the huge gap. How do you go about then picking topics for your show? Cause you mentioned how important it is that you have to make sure you're covering things that your audience wants to hear. How do you figure out what they want to hear? I realized me guessing, not a good way. So we removed that as an option. <laughs> that was, a, and you go, well, how do you go about it? So there was a few things we use a lot of, and I still use these to this day. So number one is I still love going on iTunes and looking at other shows in my niche and then sorting by their most popular episode. So you can actually see which episodes have been, it doesn't give you the numbers, but it'll say, hey, this one was really popular. 
So I keep a list of other shows in my niche or similar shows uh, to my niche and I have a look at like, well, what's been working for them? Like what's the things that their audience has been interested in? Second thing, I'm a really big fan of Amazon. I think going onto Amazon and seeing, well, you know, in this space, what are the book topics? Like if people are purchasing a lot of books in these topics, like there's probably something within it that has things this audience wants to know about. Um, And I also love the reviews, which is something I know you're a fan of is like, and then the other one, although I I will caution people on doing this, this is we're entering dangerous grounds, Reddit subgroups. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Be very careful. Don't, don't get involved. This is like, you want to observe uh, the natives in the wilderness here. I, um, it's a lethal place if you say the wrong thing or, or make the wrong comment. Fascinating to read through um, subreddits and just really have a, a really good understanding about like you can see what groups of people are very passionate about in a marketplace or even a Facebook group in that type of thing as well. So th- they would be my favorites. And then if you've already got clients in a business and you're in a business space, ask your clients. That's the best. Go to the target audience. But you just made me think of something. I never thought of this. You said Reddit. When I think of like just completely crazy comment land, maybe go look at a YouTube video because you'll get comments on YouTube. I'm not sure how helpful those might be because sometimes it's just people spouting off. And I know the comments I get on some of my videos. I'm like, did you even watch the video? But, (laughs) um, but yeah, I'm a big fan on Amazon of the two and three star review because it's not quite that you miss something that you didn't get a four or five. What is it? Four stars? How many stars can you get on Amazon? Do you know? Five is the five. best, I believe. Yeah. So like three and four and then two. Because two is like, okay, you didn't completely just bag it, but, mm, you know, it was pretty bad. Well, that's awesome. Uh, have you tried interviewing potential clients on your show? Oh, this is, this is a really interesting topic. I, I actually believe it's both of us are in a very, very unique space with podcasting, Dave, in that we don't just do it for ourselves. We get to see inside other shows all the time. And I kind of believe, and and my view on this is there's different types of podcasts and you really want to be sure on like what type of podcast you're actually trying to create. For example, if you want to do a podcast where you interview your potential clients, I think that's a style of show. I think you can very much do that in some niches and markets and it can do really well. I have a friend who does it and that's his main acquisition uh, for clients. He interviews them on the podcast, spends the time to understand what their problems are, how they could solve it, gives them some sound advice and things that will help them. And then when it finishes, he goes, would you like me to help you with that? Like, I can get this done for you. Is that what you would like? And a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot, they say, that'd be awesome. Then they do it. And that's a, you know, a very nice way to acquire a client. On the reverse though, is like, that's in my opinion, like that's one way, but it's like, there are different types of shows as well. So if you're in, let's say a different niche, you might want to do a show where you're the latest news. So really your style of show is like sharing the greatest and latest with what's happening in an industry. And you think of like pod news. So you think of things like that and like, that's a style of show, but they're not the same show, right? It's a very different way of doing it. So I think you have the ability within niche to do different styles of shows. And then of course there's like, interview style shows like what we're doing now where it's like you're coming together to have a conversation on a topic and share big ideas and position yourself as an expert. So I think that's a a different style of show as well. I think what's dangerous for podcasters, and again, my opinion, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I really think you're better off picking one style of show. Like don't try to be Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. 
really nail down at like what your thing is and be great at it. Do you do, I know you do interviews cause I've been on your show. Do you do solo shows as well? Absolutely. Uh, earlier on, I mentioned that um, a big mistake I made was like, I used to basically come on and let people walk all over me. It's like, Hey, come on. And like, I don't worry. You can just abuse me on, on my own show. And like, I'll make you look great. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's like, you know, that's not the position we really want to take. So I, I think guest interviews can be awesome when you can create conversations that uh, you wouldn't have on your own. So like how we're talking now, I would never have this conversation by myself and probably nor would you in it coming together. We're able to create something that's greater than the individual parts. Like we bring different experience and ideas together to create something great. But at times there's things I really want to cover on my own or there's things and topics that I won't have a guest about. And I'll just want to be able to share with that. So for a lot of podcasters in the, in the business space, particularly, I really like a mix I want like 50% of their shows to be guests and I want 50% to be them on their own sharing, you know, really important topics to their audience from there. And I call that the content mix. And that's about the balance I like. Of course, if you're terrible at one of those styles, probably don't do them, but ideally a bit of a mix will probably serve you well. Yeah. Natalie Ekdahl does a show called Biz Chicks and Chicks is C-H-I-X. And she used to do just interviews. That was it. And then after about a year or so, she started doing solo shows, even though she felt really uncomfortable. And she said it's one of the best things she ever did. And she realized that when you do an interview show, you're kind of growing your network. But when you do a solo show, you're growing your influence. And that's where uh, she really was like, wow, I I wish I would have started doing that about a year ago. But uh, it definitely helped her out. Looking back, did you make any technology things that you look back and go, ugh, I think I made like some of the classic mistakes, like recording from the wrong microphone. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm just, it's a, it's a, I think everyone does that one once and then you realize after it's like on the laptop or your computer mic when you're meant to be recording from here. I kid you not, I once did a, an interview and just forgot to hit record. It was a great interview. Just there's no record of it <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so like a few things like that, but um, this is one of those things where it's like I can see the depths of the rabbit hole. So like I just went with like what's the simplest and easiest setup to work with. So for me, I just went with a ATR2100 Audio Technica um, USB mic, really simple to use to start. And then I had a a Logitech C920 webcam. And like I used that for years. And what really like kept me there is like we started managing or working with some really, really big shows. I'm talking shows that a million downloads in a month is just a month. No biggie. Yeah. And like that's what they had. And I was like, right. So better equipment doesn't mean more successful show. I was like, oh, interesting. But on the other side of that, I'll be absolutely lying if I don't love playing with the tech. So if I, but I have to acknowledge that's a hobby. That's a, that's a Charlie hobby. Like that's not something where I go, oh, it's a, you better believe it. If I don't have the latest Blackmagic camera, we're a failure. If I don't get the new road mic, this is done. It is something I do enjoy. And I kind of look to like the utility of it these days of going like, is it useful for what I'm actually doing? Is it going to make it easier? One thing I always like to ask people is, can you think of any particular feedback that you've received from a listener that, you know, that's the one you're going to save in the folder. You're like, wow, that, that was amazing. It touched you in a way that maybe other feedback didn't. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very high quality question, Dave. Thank you. A lot of podcasters. (laughs) This year has been a very interesting year for many of us, but for me in a little bit of a different way. Um, I had a son, I had a little son and um, it is 
world changing. Any new father will tell you that. Now, my, as I said, is like, you think you're prepared and then you realize, hang on, maybe not. <laughs> so I, I had a son and I thought, you know what? I'm, you know, you get nine months warning. That there's one coming, which is very kind of the universe. Mm-hmm. I will say it doesn't happen instantly. And I thought, you know what? I'll record a few extra episodes of the podcast so that when my son comes, I can have some time off. And then we'll be fine. Everything will work out okay. Like I'll be able to get back into recording and things will be there. Wow, was I way off. I probably needed to record like two or three months worth of content to really get my head around what I was getting involved in. So I actually did something that's uncommon for me at all, where it's like my show actually had a break. My show had this time off. It had a period where nothing came out for like a a month or two. And I was busy being a dad and I was like, you know, going, I'll get back to it. Like, this isn't something I'm abandoning. But about three weeks into there being no episodes coming out, someone wrote me a book. And I mean a book uh, because it doesn't deserve the title of email on how long it is, but wrote me this absolute book going through why the show needed to come back, how it had helped him, what he was looking for. And like, I sat there and, and read this bunch of feedback on like what an impact the show had made on this person's life who I've never met, never worked with, didn't know his name before this. And I was just like, you really have to recognize when you have a podcast is you're probably going to change the lives of people you never know. And it just really made me go, and I I look back on it, I've got it saved. Of course, it's a saved uh, book and also screenshot in there of going like, you've got to remember like that that's a huge benefit that you don't get to see on a daily basis that can just really do a world of good for some people. And you've just told your son now, no tantrums between three and four. Like any tantrum after that is fine. But what what is the the secret? Because that's I I have a running joke. I said the biggest enemy of podcasts are babies because they're so selfish. It's all about them. Feed me, wipe me, you know, etc. And they don't really seem to care that daddy wants to podcast. So how are you juggling that? So a few things there that I would encourage is one, I'm very fortunate that I uh, live on a property that has two dwellings, so separate buildings. So there is an air gap between the podcast studio I have at home and then uh, my house. So be able to create that separation from work and home has been astronomically uh, important and also something I wanted when we um, had a kid. I wanted, you know, wanted to be a father who's home. I didn't want to be someone traveling to an office every day to create that separation. And then two is I've got an amazing wife. Uh, my wife is outstanding and very, very, very understanding of what we do in here and, and really like the results that come from it. I think if I had a, a wife that was less aware of like what podcasting is or, or what we're doing as a business, it would be much, much harder. So a huge, huge, huge help. Definitely. What's the, I know this is not podcasting related, but I, it's a fun question. What's the, we're talking about learning here. What's the biggest thing you've learned as a new father? Oh, I think, and this is a common one I've heard of in different ways, but your perspective on time is completely changed. And I'll give you an example is like when you're in a meeting with someone you don't want to be in a meeting with, it's like, this is time I could be spending with my son. So all of a sudden you're, how can I put it? Reason to cut a meeting short, not waste time on things that aren't actually going to move the needle or not uh, treat time in a way that you realize it's not an unlimited resource has been a huge change. And that's been an absolutely huge change for me. And then the other side is just like, you'll be there in a moment and you'll just realize how valuable a moment is with Jack, uh, which is my son's name. 
So it's been very, very special, but my whole realm of the value of time has just changed immensely. I think I waste a lot less time and realize that every second that I was wasting prior to his birth is time that could be utilized in, in much better ways. All right. So we've, you've retooled it. You know, how many years ago was that when you retooled it? Maybe about four years ago now, a little bit longer, but around that mark. Got it. So what's working now four years in? Okay. So that experience kind of happened where we had this show that came back or I'll call it a new show, not a revamp, but we started a new show and learned the lessons from the previous one, which is a hugely great experience. As I mentioned, like way at the start of this episode was like, eventually on the back of these people said, Hey, can you do this for me? And uh, Valor Media kind of became the company it is today where we started helping people with their podcasts. So that kind of formula and recipe that we build is what we do for clients now. In today's environment, though, one of the things we really recognize is just how much it kind of changes. So, you know, you used to be able to post things on social media and it used to work. So something, you know, a lot of our clients are really big on is like, how do you grow this thing? Like, how do you make your podcast really work today? And I'll share a few that I think are probably going to be very valuable to the audience. Like, undoubtedly, I still think that creating great content is the core of a great podcast. If you haven't got great content, you'll end up in an environment that I was in. So I think really nailing in and going, right, we've got our niche, we know our topics, we're building the right things that our audience actually wants. But promoting podcasts has become hugely different in today's environment. So what's working best for us at the moment is undoubtedly um, we do short clips of video, run uh, social media ads to those short clips, and then we link that to our podcast. So I'll use an example to kind of talk this one through. This podcast we're talking through right now, Dave, I might pull a little segment that I know is going to be a little bit clickbaity, a little bit like, I want to know more about this. This is a topic I would want to know more about. So it's the waiter at the front of a restaurant giving you that little appetizer. Taste this. I know you're going to want to come and have a meal here. We publish that on social media, but specifically we use paid ads. We know that if you want to get in front of people on social media these days, like undoubtedly just pay them. They'll do it for you. Like there's no reason to spend months and months trying to game some algorithm. Like just give them 10 bucks. They'll do it. And then we use those clips to actually grow shows, like drive traffic into the shows and help grow downloads and audience size from there. One of the great things that I don't think gets enough attention though is why we like these methods so much is the targeting. Like you can get really specific of who you want to get your show in front of. And I mean really specific, like there's some great features available. So rather than just like what a lot of podcasters do and it drives me nuts, just spray and pray, post it everywhere, get it on every channel. We want to get as many people in front of this as possibly and maybe two out of the hundred that see it will like it. We really like to reverse those odds and go, let's, pay to get it in front of people where this content will have an impact in their life. And you have a very real chance of like building a strong, strong fan base from that. That's something that's doing really well for us. And then one I know you're a fan of as am I is like your other podcasts in your niche are probably your friends and allies, not your foes. So if you guys can cross collaborate, make bigger content, go on each other's podcasts, share big ideas between it like that as an overall. And I love this saying, you know, a rising tide floats all ships. So I think that's probably the two I see working best for us with show growth at the moment. And I know you mentioned you have a bunch of services, you produce, you edit, you help market. Is this something where do you do those a la carte or is there a package that has everything or how does your pricing work? Yeah, also a good question from there. So the way we kind of view it, we do have a like complete done for you. Just speak into a microphone and send us the files. We'll do it all. Like that's, that's 
what a lot of our clients do because they're running businesses. They don't have a lot of time for this stuff. Right. But on the other side, there are certain uh, podcasts we work with where they just need some help in certain areas where we might just do, hey, just do the promotion, like run the ads for us. We'll keep doing what we're doing. Or can you please make some short clips? So there's a bit of a mix of things. If you head over to our website, we actually have all our packages and prices just listed. So people can have a look and see if one fits them. We, we try and you know really match up what we get demand for or what people are asking for. But then on the other side, like undoubtedly, I'm still making custom solutions because maybe a podcast host still loves editing their files and they won't let that go ever. <laughs> so they don't want to do the editing. Oh, is that you, Dave? Oh, that's me. <laughs> and I get that. I understand that. So I'm not looking to change your world, but you know, I reckon that you know maybe the images or making some clips, like that's the stuff we could do. And that's just an example. I'm not suggestive, but it's like, that's the kind of ones we come across. Or on reverse, people just hate writing show notes. If you could just take our show notes off our place, Charlie, that would really make our life easier. So we do that as well. So a bit of a mix of things. Got packages, got a la carte, and then got like, come and do the whole thing. Well, buddy, I really do appreciate you coming in and politely throwing yourself under the bus and and sharing that story. But I love the fact that you had people knocking on your door just saying, hey, would you please take my money? And that really does prove if you take the time to figure out who your audience is, what do you want them to do? Buy your stuff, buy your services. Now, what can I talk about that will keep them entertained, keep them interested, but yet move them to do what I need them to do, which is hire me to do that. It actually works. And that's why I love that story. And I thank you for uh, taking the time. What time, speaking of time, what time is it where you are right now? So 10.45 a.m. now. So just morning. Okay, not bad. Excellent. I always worry because you are in... Melbourne, Australia. Making sure. Excellent. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much for your time, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Someday when we're all allowed to meet each other face-to-face, I really hope to meet Charlie Valor and buy him some sort of beverage and uh, share some time with him. Such a, it's just one of those guys that I'm like, mm, we just think alike and we've got great stories and uh, I'm a big fan. A couple things that stood out there. He talks at the very beginning, he had a $50,000 budget. He was putting $50,000 promoting this thing. Because again, remember, this is a guy that's got a marketing background. So what do we learn? You cannot buy an audience if your content doesn't connect. People think I'm a broken record because I'm like, did you get a focus group? Did you get some feedback on your content before you buy Facebook ads, before you buy Spotify and all these other ads that are now popping up? I thought that was interesting. And think about this. There have been, I think, 16 seasons of American Idol and I can name like four of them, like Kelly Clarkson, uh, the other guy, Rupert Stoddard, and the girl that sings the football song. See, they're all right there, and there's 12 other of them. So just getting exposure is not always the key to success. And I love the line, I want to talk to my audience so they feel like I've been watching them. That's a great way to describe that. And the beautiful thing is, it worked. And then throw a cherry on top. He's got a beautiful little boy. And uh, just what a great story. Now to go a little deeper behind the scenes, I said I was testing Riverside. We left it in the middle of the call because it was doing so bad. I explained this to the people at Riverside.fm. They have profusely 
apologize. They extended my free trial, and I might try something. But I, this is why I always have at least two things recording the interview because I love them. I mean, I'm a big fan of Squadcast and all these other. I always have two things recording. I just always. I've been doing this 15 years. It never fails. The more important the interview, the better the chance that something is going to eat it. Now, one tip I want to hand out here, I've had interviews go weird and you have to jump through some hoops to get through the technical issues. And I did one recently and it was Squadcast. I've never had any issues with Squadcast. And in the end, we didn't lose the recording and it wasn't anything where we had to bail on it. We just had to turn off our video, which doesn't get recorded anyway. And my guest said, yes, I'm having problems with the internet. So I don't think it was a squad cast thing, but it did interrupt the flow of the conversation, which was kind of a bummer. So in the process of making sure the technology was working and things like that, it kind of mm, didn't, I, I got done. It was like, mm, that could have been better. So here I am again, different service, trying something going horribly bad to where we had to jump to a different platform to finish the interview. And it kind of helps that Charlie is a podcaster and he understands. And I said, Hey, can you just give me a second? I'm going to take a deep breath and kind of calm down. We're going to wait five seconds. So it'll make it easier to edit. And then I'll come back with the first question, which is going to be blah, blah, blah. And just taking a deep breath. And by that, I just mean just a deep breath, hold it and let it out allowed me to kind of regain my composure as opposed to kind of juggling things and continuing moving forward. It's like, hey, let's just stop a second, regroup, and then come back strong. And that really, really helped, I think, with this. It was a bit of a editing nightmare, but that, again, is handy where you have separate tracks that really solve things. So that's just a little behind the scenes on my original test with Riverside.fm. And for the record, I've, I know other people that have been using it and say it's great. So maybe it was just something weird with me. Hey, it is question of the month. It is coming up real quick. I need your answer by the 25th of September. The question of the month is right now, I'm just obsessed with the word interesting. I've been really researching it and I found some really cool stuff that I knew was going to happen, especially around the length of the attention span of a human. Learn some stuff there. You're going to go really and I'm like, yep. So I'm obsessed with the word interesting. When you hear the word interesting, what comes to your mind? If someone spoke to you in another language and asked you to explain, what is this interesting thing you mean? How would you describe it? Feel free to just riff on the thoughts on interesting and explain any examples or content you feel that's interesting. And again, I need your answer by September 25th. Now, when you send that in, if you have a podcast, Please tell us about your podcast, where we can find it, and the website address. And as always, there are no extra points for saying it super fast. That makes it my job kind of hard, so please don't do that. Also coming out in just a couple weeks here, September 28th, is the launch of my new book, Profit from Your Podcast, Proven Strategies to Turn Listeners into a Livelihood. You can find that at Profit from Your Podcast. Dot com And uh, I worked a long time on that, and it's getting really good reviews to the people that I have uh, shared that with. So stay safe out there. Treat each other with kindness 
and respect. And until next week, class is dismissed. Take care and God bless. <laughs>